To me, my podcast listeners, welcome to another installment of the Dom of X show where we talk about Marvel's mutants, the X-Men. Once again, I am your host, Dom Torres, and to my figurative side, hopefully literal side, upcoming soon, is my good friend, Dylan Gray. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. And actually, technically, you are right next to me because we're streaming this right now on Live It, and you're literally at my side on the screen. So this is this is pretty awesome. I'm really happy to have you here. So let's get into this, bro. X-Men? X-Men, though? X-Men? There's, there's nothing better to talk about, at least for Marvel. It's so much fun. Yeah, let's just get right into it. I, I don't even want to waste any time again. So as you guys know, the X of Swords event is coming up literally quite soon by quite soon i'm talking about when you're getting the podcast like this we are probably going to be like one or two days away from the actual event and so with that we're going to be covering all the stuff you kind of need to know before the event and with that we're going to be covering x-men issues 7 through 11 by the man himself jonathan hickman along with interiors from Lionel francis you again and Mahmoud Asrar, colors by the wonderful Sunny Go, lettering by Clayton Cowles, designing by Tom Mueller, and senior editing by Jordan D. White. And before all of this, can I just say that Hickman gets the tension between Scott and Logan so well? Like, there was this one, there was this one instance in X-Men 7 when they're just chilling on the moon, like next to each other. Or just just chilling and talking about life, but I love the way that Hickman writes Scott and Logan and the relationship that both of them have. Yeah, no, it's a it's a whole new world with the way they're writing their relationship because they're in this whole new polyamorous kind of thing with uh, Gene. Like they have to get along, and they're almost like they're domesticated. You know, they're they're almost like they're in a like uh, romantic relationship themselves. Which I mean, kind of technically they are, right? Yeah, because they're they're just caught up in this three. Like remember in X Men number one, we had the the infographic where it showed us that Scott, Jeans, and Logan's rooms were all tied up into one, and as sort of they have to, like you said, get along together now because of their weird relationship. They're they're both part of the same house. They're both part of the summers extended sort of family tree if that's what you want to call it right the the summer estate <laughs> the summer's estate i i would want to chill there like who wouldn't but right it's on the moon <laughs> oh my gosh like they're they're watching earth freaking from the moon they're they're just on there and they're just talking about life but i still like it that they sort of have this tension against them especially when logan is just like hey this thing that's happening on krakoa with all of the stuff from here and there, like go, go find yourself this. Like I still like that there's tension and there's the sort of pitting rivalry against them, even though they understand that they're both now completely nearly on the same side. There's still this sort of midway, like hey, we, we're not going to always get along. And these two are still duking it out against each other. That's what I really appreciate. And it's kind of like what I, what I had from the old X-Men animated series sort of vibes. It's the same here too. It's like Scott, I don't get along with you sometimes, but hey, we'll try to get along. And, and these two definitely in a new environment. Hickman shows that they, they still have their they weird do, rivalry. But there's this, new, there's this new kind of feeling of respect that they have 
for each other. And they've always really had that respect. Like they may not get along, they may not agree, but there's definitely respect between both of them. They both see what each other's strengths are and they both see what they bring to the table. And that's a that's something that now they're like kind of even leaning even more into because there's no longer that that hardcore rivalry anymore for Gene or being in charge or any of that because it's a whole new world for them. They're they're in a country. There's it's not just a school anymore. It's not just a team. It's a it's a country. They're 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 working towards something bigger than than the small bit anymore. Like even bigger than before. And so I think it's really interesting how he just makes them chill now. Like, they're just chilling. They're just chilling, drinking coffee, looking at the earth from the moon. Like, that's just that's just really cool. And it's really fun, you know? And the fact that, like, even I, even through it all, like, he still shares, like, there's still this, like, he they want to ask each other's opinions on things, you know? That's why he, they were talking, and he's like, you know what? I should go talk to Kurt today. You know? It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to see that their dynamic being a little bit different, especially in a post Hoxpox world where they're they're doing something that's bigger than both of them, and, and they're understanding that whatever is happening to the world outside, it's bigger than both of those who are, and the responsibilities that they have to uphold. And again, I, I just like the way that Hickman is enveloping all of this, and it sort of brings me to this fact that being bigger than what they are and what x-men number seven really is why it really got to me when when i read it i was like what the heck the mutant metaphor i think means a lot of different things to a lot of different people it's we've had it since the 60s and even then claremont expanded up on it because of the of the trials and and the prejudice that succinct groups you know, have against them. And what Kickman is trying to take away from all of this, because again, I think it's important, especially after you read X-Men number seven, he's very much delving into what it means to be a mutant, what it carries when you have that different gene that makes you different than who you are, that makes you separated from other people and sort of taking pride in it. Like you look at what happens in the next one, number seven, you figure out that the, if you don't have your full mutant powers, if you're only like, if you're half human, half mutant, or if you're nearly full human, but you still have that mutant gene inside you, what the X-Men, what Professor X, what Apocalypse, especially they want to do they want to make you embrace the fact yes. that you're different. Like, it's okay to be well, different. And, when, and that's been something that Magneto has been talking about literally the whole time. It's like, we need to not try to live with these people. We need to understand that we are different and we are better and we are mutants, you know? And I think that's a very big tone that's going across the board. And I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's just so... It gets at you. X-Men number seven, when, when people read it, when, when people go through what everybody's talking about, what, like we, we have Scott and Logan and they're asking themselves like, hey, is this the right thing for our nation? Where Logan just brushes it off and says that it's not our choice, it's somebody else's. And you know, people taking up hold and all these mutants taking in their responsibilities for being, again, being different, being a part of something bigger than what they are on the inside. It's... It's so captivating, I think, to read just because you see all of the people that, again, you've seen in movies, in past comics, where they're, they're now they're taking that sense of hold and responsibility and saying, 
I want to be different. I want to embrace what I actually am inside. And it means a lot. It, it takes so much. I guess there's just sort of some vigor, but also a lot of, you know, again, what, what Apocalypse is doing when, when he's literally beating everybody with, with his big sword. It's just so, there's just so much in what the crucible means when you get resurrected when you go through the pains and trials to get killed but after that you're fully you're fully a mutant you are fully a citizen or you're fully embracing what professor x and magneto and the council bring and it's just so it gets at you it's like holy crap like these these mutants like sure they might be something else but they want to do their own thing. Like they believe, they truly believe in what they are doing and what they're doing is right. And it was just so awesome to see everybody in that issue sort of stand up for themselves. It was like, holy crap, like Krakoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the whole, and the whole idea of like the crucible, like it's, it's not even about like just doing it. It's a, what, what the council had decided about the whole idea of, um, making you fight for it, you know, it's not just, you can't just roll over and die, you know, you gotta, you gotta earn that death, almost like a Viking kind of way, which is really cool, and it, it makes more sense, because, like, it's not like it's a mercy killing, like, someone ha is really sick or something, or really injured, you know, this is, even though some might say that it is a mercy killing, but they, they're making them work for it, you know, and I think that's really cool. It is, it's like, well, I think, it's just sort of asking yourself, like, we have taken, and many countries have done this, like, as a nation, you, we've shed the own, our own blood of, of many people. I think what, there's a lot of subtext to what Jonathan Hickman is, is bringing just upon this one issue alone. He's, I think that there's a lot of self-consciousness and awareness raised up in this with again the mutant metaphor being at the forefront of all of it but there's also just that sense of yeah like they're they're going out there like you can't just sit back here and try like when when apocalypse is out here he's lecturing to literally whoever is out there on the island nation whoever is watching as he is just slamming the absolute hammer, or sorry, I say sword that he's slamming the he's slamming the sword down on. <laughs> pretty this is it, this isn't anything like he's slamming the the sword down on arrow, and it's just it gets at you. It's like they're they're fighting through. They're making sure that you're not just killed. Like oh, it's just like oh, it's just cut off your head. No, it's a full on fist fight with apocalypse and man the the blood stains the the action and and try and knowing that you will die and this is the thing too it's like you are going to the, the people who get go through this crucible they know that full well that they're good you're not gonna no, kill apocalypse. no human can take out apocalypse that's insane that's insane there's no way and when i saw them like when they finally like disclose like okay so these are mutants. They want to be reborn as mutants, even though they lost their powers. So how do we do that? Well, let's have them fight for it. Well, what if they beat them? Well, let's have them fight Apocalypse with a sword. <laughs> no one's going to beat Apocalypse with a sword. Dude's huge. <laughs> 
And he's got thousands no, it, of years it, of yeah, you can't, wartime, yeah. like, battle experience. Like, there, he's going to be able to take someone out in a gladiator situation. You know what I mean? Exactly. I also kind of like through all of this, and again, especially with all of the heavy subtext that goes along with it, I like that Kurt is getting his own time to shine as a mutant priest now it's it's what it seems like what it's going to be enveloping is some sort of i have no idea because it hasn't been brought up since then but he's creating his own religion he talked to scott and he's like yo like hey i i got i got we're up here and i i had some weird dreams or i tried to get in this weird tower and hey like i want to do my own religion now it's so awesome to see nightcrawler getting his own shine in this too because i haven't seen him since the fight on the space tower back in house of house of x and powers of 10 but i like kurt wagner i i love him a lot he's just a swashbuckling dude he's got his own sword and he can he can fight i i love him i'm glad that he's getting a bigger role here too where we have cyclops as the one of the commanders of krakoa and hey like kurt's gonna be the high priest of krakoa (laughs) And that's the, like when they when they mentioned it, he's like, I think I'm going to start a religion. I was like, oh, duh, because I knew like that was always been a thing about his character. Nightcrawler has always been religious. I mean, he grew up in the church. He was abandoned by his family and sent to live with monks because no one else wanted him. And because, you know, he's a blue creature. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, so he, he became very religious and he, he's always historically just never really had a major shining arc or anything like that. Yeah, he in in Age of X-Men, he did kind of have a he had his own series and he did that was all about Kurt. But that wasn't really other than that. I can't think of too many major arcs I can think of. Please at me, you guys. If you, if I'm wrong, but I, most of the stuff I've seen of Nightcrawler has been on, um, television straight up and well, the movies as well, you know? Yeah. It's, please, it's, it, yeah. Please, out there in podcast it's so weird land, because we often think of him. Of yeah. Any cool Nightcrawler stories I should read. Please let me know. I'm so down to read them. I would be too. Like what, what Kurt's good at, I think he's a great best friend of logan if that's what you want to call it like those two have always been good swinging buds and i I really love the relationship between those two and i think if he especially now like if he were to get that development into again being bigger than he is and creating a new religion especially now the fact that resurrection is implanted on the island like we have a system now where mutants all can come back what is their religion going to entail is it is it going to be something along the lines of judeo-christian christianity like his own catholic upbringings have brought him or is it going to be something that we see from oriental religions with buddhism or hinduism where they actually have reincarnation slotted in as one of the main religious sects or subtexts it's so I think it's it would be fascinating to see Kurt just be in a mutant book again instead of, hey, like he'll pop up every now and then. Maybe he can join Marauders with, with Kate or we'll, we'll see. I, I'm really excited to see what Kurt is going to be doing here on, on this island. Like there's a lot. There's a lot that he can do. You bring up a very, very good point, Dominic, about the whole idea. Like, yes, he is a hardcore Western Catholic-raised... Uh, Catholic 
person. I mean, he, he grew up literally in, in a monastery with a bunch of Catholic monks. He's, he's from Germany or Bulgaria, one, one of those, uh, fatherland countries. Yeah. Some but of them. Yeah. He, um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting, but there is literally nothing in, uh, Judeo Christianity about, um, resurrection other than Jesus, you know, and, oh, and I guess Lazarus, um, but there's not a big thing about it. Which, so, is he going to bring in some of that kind of Buddhist ideas and stuff? And, like, maybe he's going to talk to other mutants that are from uh, other parts of the country and kind of, like, or other, of the world and, and try to figure out, like, mixing it all together. But now, that's a really good point right there that I brought up. Thank you, Dylan. Um, <laughs> the Lazarus. Is he going to bring up some something about Lazarus or Jesus and all that kind of stuff? Like... Or is it going to be a whole new thing altogether, and it's not going to be any of this at all, and it's going to be like uh, we're we're they're worshiping the the prophets, which are the five, you know, something like that. I don't know, and it's going to be really right. interesting. Exactly, to see how that like plays it is in the fabric of Krakoa itself, like a country with its own religion, you know. Hey, the base the base is there. Resurrection is right there on the corner. There, there's just a whole there's just a whole lot of things that they could they could do along with Kurt. Like I want to I want to see him shine. I want to have him in maybe not his own book, but something to that effect. And like I, I I'm down for it. We, let's let's get more Kurt. Let's get more mutant religion and let's see how that evolves. But speaking of religion, and this has actually nothing to do with religion. It's more like hey, the enemies are back. We get the brood. Okay, we get the brood here in what is essentially a crossover between the old former New Mutants, who are now, I guess, X-Men, or whatever the heck you want to call them, Citizens of Krakoa. We get them, we get pretty much everybody thrown into a two-arc, or two-issue two arc? It's a, it's, a, it's a weird two-issue arc where we have the brood in. I, I thought this was a very, very fun arc. We got literally the entire Summer House. We got the New Mutants. We got the Shi'ar. We got the Star Jammers. Like, we're just going to be throwing everybody into the mix. And, and lo and behold, like, we have the Brood, and, they, and they've been... And they're back. We got we got a whole breed of them because they got the... If you, yes. you guys don't remember, they got the King Egg. Not just not just the Brood, though. Not just the Brood, but the Space Whales. The Space Whales are back. Space Whales, oh, man. Those big, those big, 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 big holobolocks. I don't, I don't even know what you want to call it. But yeah, they, they we're just going to be throwing everything at the X-Men. Like, Hickman isn't even taking punches. He's throwing mutant racists. He's throwing old enemies back into the forefront to make sure that, you know, we have this new weird island filled with a bunch of mutants or whatever. Now, he's making old enemies work together. That too. And now, yeah, we're just going to be throwing this entire huge alien race back onto the, yeah, just back with the, oh my gosh. It's like we're, we're just going to be throwing a huge party on Krakoa. Like, at the end, I'm telling you, and in the X-Men, we're just going to have, like, every single mutant friend and enemy try to destroy the island. That's how this whole thing ends. Uh, but no, like, we got Definitely. we got the brood. We got the brood here. I, I really like I really like this art mainly for two reasons. One, I really love the fight choreography in this, especially with Mambu Dasrar filling in for Lionel Francis You Freaking magic and cyclops. Those two are working together. It's just it's just really fun to see sort of this older generation and newer generation of mutants c- 
coincide and work together to defeat a common enemy. We even get an excuse me throwing me here from Brew, who's the little dude running around asking Jean for help. Like, it's just an awesome, these are awesome, awesome fight issues. That's what they are. Definitely. There is so much action. There's so much, I mean, and there's so much, you know, character development and and just world building. Well, I, I mean, universe building realistically at this point, right? I, I just think what what Hickman brings when he's bringing us back these characters, the brood, for instance, you know, it's just so random. And so because it's it's always been like, OK, everyone knows about the brood, but it's never been like a big thing, you know, because it's not a mainstream kind of character that people know about. Like, yeah, hardcore comic book readers will know about the brood, but that's about it. And to see him brought to back and brought in such a cool way and then referencing the space whales give me space whales you guys always space whales there's always a cool thing that was one of my favorite arcs on the uh, animated series was the mm-hmm. brood one yeah you know so it was really cool to kind of see it all come back I should do it. and in, in an awesome way in an awesome way with the king egg and everything and and once again here comes hickman bringing some hardcore dope science no magic into some really cool alien stuff. Like the whole idea that, okay, we need the queens control everything, but the king egg is developed in a way to control the queens. And it's going to take thousands of years. <laughs> and so, yeah, like this is what I am love. If they had to critique one part of the brood stuff, there's sort of some part of me that makes me want to say like hey if you guys want more subtext please go over and read the new mutants volume one by jonathan hickman because you guys sort of have to read that to understand a little bit because of what the what happened with the king egg why the heck is it in krakoa and how did it get there right like we read in new mutants like hey like rain sinclair where or wolfsbane got the king egg brought it over to krakoa with her friends the new mutants and now all of a sudden, because the King Egg is sort of this host for controlling all of the brood, the brood are trying to get to it. It's like, holy crap. Like, yeah, But yeah, once you get the you control of the King Egg, like, hey, that means that we can control this huge alien force of weird creatures. And we figure out from all the flashbacks, like the Kree figured out that, oh my goodness, like these guys are dangerous. All of this enveloping stuff with literally... We're just again we're th- we're throwing everybody in there. The Shi'ar know that it's dangerous. That's why they, the the Kree they know it's dangerous. That's why they freaking caught the Star Jammers because even the Star Jammers knew they were dangerous. And and shout out again to Corsair. Well, they hired the Star Jammers to yep. steal the yep. egg for them. Yep, exactly, exactly. And eight thousand years, eight thousand years that the Kree have been plotting this. Like that that gives you the idea of the the superiority and the the way that the Kree just operate like they're like we're just we're so young here on earth like they've been working for millions of years to get to where they're at of of, of just pure galactic um conquest and they, they just have a plan where they're just like yeah it's gonna take eight thousand years okay cool let's get it in motion like it wasn't even a thought like if you and me were like, okay, let's 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 work on a story, and in eight thousand years, it'll finally get published. Like, no, it's not gonna happen. Like, no, what it, no, no, they they so, have been working towards this 
one weird goal of all of this. Can I also say that, well, A, Gladiator is awesome. I was rewatching yes. some of the old X Men animated and Gladiator's series. Son. And, and Gladiator's son, freaking Kid Gladiator. I love him too. Mm-hmm. And there's just, mm-hmm. there, Hickman also throws in these like sweet moments where in issue number nine, I think Gladiator is just about to whoop the, the Kree accusers, but like he's gonna whoop his ass. And, mm-hmm. and this freaking kid, he's, he's just like, hey, dad. I wanted to spend more time with you, but you don't know how it what would make it even more fun if you kick this guy's ass for me. And he freaking whoops him the other side of the ship. Like, right. he, he goes flying. I, I love it. There's He goes right through the hole out in the space. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, he's, okay, yeah, he's so gone. Let's talk about that scene. Let's talk about that that scene, that actual scene and how it played out because First of all, yeah, you have that really heartwarming moment where it's like, hey, dad, you know, you can make it up to me if you beat this guy's ass in front of me. He's like, okay. And then he beats his ass and punches him through the hole, right? Awesome action scene, sends him out into space and he flies and you think it's over, right? Okay, he's out in space. Let's move on. But no, he moves and gets swallowed up by one of the the whales, which brings it to the next scene where there's other people at. So not only is it just a great cool idea it's an amazing way to move the story forward you know he used it almost as like a plot device (laughs) it's awesome yeah i I agree it's like let's bring in the brood but also let's have these cool moments where when you actually defeat the enemy the the enemy gets defeated in just this badassery way where they're just getting swallowed by these enormous whales these space whales and he just eats them and there's a freaking chop at the end shout out to again Lionel francis Yu for doing the amazing action scenes i i can't credit this guy's work enough because that guy's action scenes they're so fluid they're so well paced and they're so beautifully drawn and coordinated that's where Lionel shines they're wonderful it's it's you look at it and it's just like if you look that like, look at this like you got the freaking space whales and and all like they're just ramming into ships as they're crashing here and there oh my goodness Lionel I love your work but yeah like we get the we get the brood in and and this is the weird sort of anti not anticlimactic but the climactic part of the battle so we have this old little tiny mutant called brood right he's He's this—he's a dude with glasses, and he looks like one of them, even though he's not. But he's smarter. And to again to control them, you need the king egg. But lo and behold, you have Broom at the end of the two-issue arc, and as the Star Jammers and the X-Men—they're fighting. Broom just freaking eats the egg, <laughs> and has control of the entire alien race, and it's like, what the heck? Yes. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Like, specifically, specifically the panel, right, where he's just sitting there with his glasses, and he's got the entire brood empire, if, if for lack of a uh, brood hive, and not just controlling, okay, the brood. He's controlling also the brood queens, okay, and they're just all standing there, and he's just sitting there, just eating up an egg. Just like eating, putting yolk in his mouth with his glasses, just chilling out on his throne. 
And it's just such a great, it's just such a great shot. I just love it. I love it. And oh my God, we're not even talking about the science of the egg. The science of the egg. So because the queens, they control the, the brood through tele, telepathy and mm-hmm. pheromones, okay? They couldn't figure out the telepathy part because their brains are too chaotic. They can't get a hold of them. So what did they do? The Cree created this king egg to make their pheromones con- like go above and beyond to the point where they're controlling the queens. That way they can control all of the brood. And that is like, once again, let's talk about how he brings real science into ridiculousness of superherodom. You know, it's it's just Hickman, such a man. You're the man. You're the he man. Gives you such, he gives you such a better understanding of the world and how it all is enveloping with the X-Men. Again, like with something as catastrophically large as the entire brood hive is, you get the science behind it because Hickman explains the details enough, both in dialogue and in his famous infographic pages, to the point where it's like, oh, okay, so this is how dangerous they are. This is how their minds work. This is the structure. This is how they're going to be controlled. And this is why they're that important to the X-Men mythos. There's a lot of cosmic buildup here too. Like we're not just, again, we're not just staying on Earth against, oh, this isn't just another fight with Sabretooth or Magneto or whoever. Like this is much bigger than what the X-Men have have come against before we're we're gonna we're gonna go out but we're not it's just so there's just so much universal building and hickman is trying to take up the shiar because of their past allegiances and disalignments with the x-men and this is how things are going to be and i I love it it's it's understanding and let's and let's and let's And let's talk about how cool that is just for a genre of superhero stuff, okay? They don't do world building. They do universe building because there's other planets, there's other dimensions, there's other universes inside the universe. And, like, it's such a cool, like, playground to play with because you can literally do anything. And that's what a lot of people don't give credit for to the superhero genre you know it's it's not world building it's it's universal building and it's always been like that look at dc with all the green lantern stuff and and justice league odyssey and everything you know that this is this is what makes the genre so cool and stand out to me at least because there's not a lot of stuff that does that sure you have star wars which has you know a kind of well i wouldn't say a universe building more of a galactic kind of building because you know they're just the galaxy and Star Trek kind of does that as well because, you know, they're traveling around. But, I mean, there's not too many genres that really do that, wouldn't you say? And this is, I agree. And this is this is one point before I get on to the next. It's Marvel has this advantage over DC where I think their space, their cosmic stuff is so much more developed and rich than their big two counterpart has. Like, you think of DC, the main thing you're thinking of is Green Lantern, and that's mainly it. Like, yeah, sure, you can go over Thanagar or whatever, but what Marvel does, space is such a diversified and it's already enveloped. Like, there's, you have Asgard, you have all of the stuff with the Guardians of the Galaxy and their own, their own universe. There's just so much that Marvel has more in store. Symbio- like the, the Shi'ar and Kree alone is just is good enough to show how 
how much they're developed, you know? Scroll. Right, like, there's so... Over the, how, how, how many, other than, like, just the straight-up lanterns, different lantern cores, and Thanagar, can you name any other real, like, alien places? Like, can you name any other places in DC? No. It is very hard. They, it is they, very they hard. They developed that. And that's, but, you know what, though? But you know what, though? And it's a, it, and this is where... You you go over the DC though they have their their magic and supernatural way more developed than than Marvel has you know Marvel's magic rules have never ever ever been really developed or put into a cohesive kind of thing you know what I mean they they've tried it in so many different ways and they've never really had a solid canon across the board with that because they just never really hired any fantasy writers you know they were they were more science based that's that was the vibe the the more realism kind of stuff you know that they brought to it. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. You can't win them all. Yeah, there there isn't. I think what I'm I'm just overall more appreciative of Jonathan Hickman because the X Men again have huge ties with the Shi'ar, and they have for the last four decades. He's taking mm-hmm. all of that lore and placing it into this newer environment, and he's making the most out of it. And that's why I really appreciate from this two issue crossover with again the New Mutants, the Star Jams, everybody. He's doing something with the bigger Marvel universe, and he's just—he's not just keeping it with just the X Men. No, because the X Men are bigger, and they're part of a larger universe. And I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate it from all the X Office that they're, they're trying to envelop this bigger world for the X Men. And so, yeah, it was a really, really fun two issue arc. We we need more of those fun action scenes and space whales. I, I do agree with you on that point. Space whales yeah. and science are always a win. In comics, yeah. I, so, and just and just just taking a step back and like let's just like really dive deep and like really focus on the art. I the inking on this and the way like he they use it to to build like the tone and everything. He's done such a great job. I, I I've been blown away uh, with his artwork, specifically on this this arcs. You know, with the space stuff, but. He's just, he's blowing me away. Like, really good work. Really, really good work. You have these dope spreads with Lionel, and he's just putting literally everybody in there. Like, here's the brute, and they're just all chasm around. And you have the, you have the Shi'ar Empire Imperial dudes. We got, you know, Gladiator, Manta, his son, Oracle. And then you got Scott's house, throughout the freaking Summer's house. They're just trying to fire away shots, and the Star Jammers are trying to help out as best they can. Like, the pages are just so glorious. Like, you look at this stuff, and you just say, Holy crap, that is amazing. So, shout out to Lionel Francis, you, Sonny Go, for the amazing colors and just making everything so dynamic. We need more of that sort of dynamic art where I can just look at it and just be amazed and, and just be enthralled. Speaking of Enthralled, we have the next two issues where it's sort of tie-ins, but not really. So, if you guys yeah. didn't know, how, Marvel... How crappy is it that the Krakoans had to deal with two alien invasions back-to-back? <laughs> oh, that sucks. It's like, oh, let's get the brood in here. But then, over, so over here, we have Empire, guys, where Marvel, because of, because of COVID-19, it got halted. Marvel decided to thrust in the Al Ewing Dan Slott event. Onto a lot of their books, X-Men was part of them, and the main em- empire enemy is the Katadi. They're a race of essentially evil trees. We're just going to leave it at that. They're evil trees, and they're just like, yo, we're going to invade whatever the heck is going to happen. Like, we-, we get a cool cameo in issue 10 where the Katadi are just hanging out around the moon, and they already developed their weird habitats and and 
civilization, if you want to call it that, like over there, and people are just walking outside. It's and like, here comes the like, summer it, to mess up their whole plans. <laughs> shout out to Vulcan. So there's a couple of things going on here because I I don't think I've seen him. The last time I seen him, and Hickman develops this because he wrote Vulcan the last time in War War Kings, which is part of his Future Foundation slash Fantastic Four run. Vulcan gets shut in the vault with uh, Black Bolt, and we don't. I don't believe we ever see Vulcan again. Vulcan again is a member of the Summers House. He is Scott Summers' brother. He's Cyclops' brother. He's Havoc's brother. He's part of the. He's he's part of the family, and we go into like the deep records, and we find out that Vulcan never died. Like now he's back, and I think most people know Vulcan as this sort of explodey like fiery anger anger like angry emperor that's with a sort of the vulcan i'm used to and we see in like in x-men number one where he's just this sort of hey guys how are you doing like this sort of happy go lucky too vibe but man he gets so enraged in one of the empire tie-ins he gets mad like he explodes and he just goes all out like he he goes in essentially what happens is he he i think part of himself gets separated you see, like, these weird alien bugs. They're not Katati, but, like, we don't know what these alien bugs are, but we find out that sort of his personality is separated. And then once right. he goes out back onto the back onto the moon, then we see the angry emperor that people have been used to. And then he gets all angered up, and then he just unleashes the most violent fires on the Katati. Yeah. And I, I... <laughs> well, think about it, too. Like, not only are they messing with him, he's hungover. Okay, if someone tried to take over my, like, if some aliens tried to come in my neighborhood and try to, like, set up shop and take on the earth, I would just blow up too, you know? Especially hungover, like, ugh, now I gotta deal with the alien invasion. Uh, didn't we just do this? I'm too hungover for this. Boom! <laughs> and, and I love the, it. The, yeah, shout out again to Lionel Francis, you and Sonny Go for the awesome fire. Like those fiery panels where he's just yes. laying waste to the Katati. Like he he's just mm. letting his his passion and his rage envelop him and sue him, and and then he's letting go of his true self. He's got uh, Petra and Sway, who are his two weird friends slash teammates, who are on his old team, and they're just like, "Hey, hey, Emperor, are you good?" He's like, what? What the heck did I just do? So we have him sort of in this weird trance of, oh my gosh, I, I got, I, I, I've been dreaming and I've been drinking all day with you guys, and then you get this other side of him where he's just like, like I want to let myself get inflamed, and it's, it's, man, it's, it's so, it's so, be- it was just so fun to read. It was like, let, let me, let me envelop a rage, a little bit of rage inside and explode it, you know, all out in anger. So that was a very fun. Vulcan one shot that we got some teasers of in I think the X Men number X Men number eight and then the actual issue of him centered around him in issue ten. Yeah, and it's 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 going to be interesting what goes on with him because they his whole backstory and problem was with during Realm of Kings when he goes into the fissure or maybe it was even before that in the Annihilation War, but either way. When he had to, when he deal with all this extra dimensional stuff, and I think that's what we're gonna be seeing. You know, there might be we might see the X Men fighting some Elder Gods sometime soon. You know, anything yeah. with 
two mouths usually means it's extra dimensional and evil. Like every time. Mm-hmm. And that scene where the dude's like smiling and then he smiles again underneath his other smile. Like that was a really cool way to kind of, I don't know. It was like almost like he was happy, but he was really happy. You know, it was a really cool way to def- to show that and also make it seem very evil and uh, and ominous, you know. And, and exactly. Who knows? These might be the good guys. For all we know, these might be good guys, you know. And that's the cool thing. You can't like let anything slide. It could anything can happen in this in this new universe that Hickman has created, you know. Mhm. Exactly. And speaking of that point, again, I want to iterate that after Vulcan gets captured by these weird alien parasitic dudes, they again split his personality so we get the real him and then the fake him sort of separated. And those guys that you mentioned with the weird smiles and the parasitic eyes and the whole just weirdness, this there's two things that I'm potentially scared of. One, the mutants already have in place a law that they want to protect all Omega-level mutants. Vulcan is an Omega-level mutant. Now, what they did to him, again, with splitting the personalities, Krakoa has in place a system upon them where they've said... We want to ensure that that our most powerful beings are all under our house and that they're all protected by the state. It's just the way it works. When you have Vulcan, who is just chilling, supposedly on the moon with his friends Petra and Sway, and then he gets captured by two random or a couple of random alien weirdos, wouldn't the council, wouldn't Magneto and Professor X be upset that he just got taken and he just got split? Like, what are... Are there going to be any ramifications for him? Are these guys, like, we don't know who they might be, but do the the council know about something? And can they know? And what steps are they going to do to make sure that something like that doesn't happen? Like, it's, it's, so there's, so there's that part of me that's scared or wants to see what the council is going to be doing, especially with this. And there's, again, what, like you said, what the heck are these aliens and what are they here for? Are they are they cool? Like, are they doing this as a favor for Vulcan? Or are they trying to encase the fiery god emperor that, again, we all know him to be? Right. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to be interesting and anything can go. Anything can go. And it's definitely, I mean, you want to talk about foreshadowing. He is beyond foreshadowing. He's be- past foreshadowing. He is straight up setting up the next arc and here's the cool thing that i'm noticing with the theme of the x-men is we might the whole we might this might be a whole series there might be a whole series where vulcan's fighting with his two girlfriends in another dimension you know like that might be a a book which i would totally read by the way i would read i would absolutely read that in a heartbeat hands down i don't care who writing that i would definitely read that oh my god that sounds so freaking cool fiery god emperor (laughs) okay but we're you know what we are totally it's he's great and all but we need to talk about the star of these last five issues my man mr brat magneto aka brag nito oh my god you you think you think like hey how can he be any better than he already is and then hickman writes the dopest thing i have ever heard of in my entire life ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen magneto is fighting off an alien invasion the aliens are attacking krakoa he says to his team 
I need you to get a hold of Magma and Iceman. And you're like, Magma and Iceman? Oh, what, what's, uh, he's got, some, oh, they're plants. You think, oh, they're plants. He wants fire and ice there, you know, to freeze them or, or burn them, you know, that or with magma, obviously, right? He says, no, what he does is he has magma who can literally control ma lava, pull up melted iron from the earth core, pulls it up and then has Iceman freeze it all. And then Iceman says, yeah, I can do that, but it's going to be very brittle and very jagged. And he's like, oh no, what am I going to do with a bunch of giant jagged metal bars? And he's just throwing them, just destroying all of these plants with it. And it is one of the coolest things I've ever seen Magneto do in my entire life. Seriously. Seriously. Like, I, I, he might top, Hickman might be able to top this, but I can't possibly fathom. I can't possibly fathom how he can. That to me was an 11 of 10 issue. I, I can't, I don't even know if there has been any writer that has written a better or more fun Magneto than Jonathan Hickman has. Issue 11 alone to me, I was, holy, sh like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This man is able to, can we talk about the satellites too? He freaking... With the Katati leader, when yes. he gets down, he brings down the house. He's like, yo, I already defeated you. And then satellite upon satellite upon yeah. debris upon satellite just tumbles over the Katati evasion. And he's like, I won. Like, try me. <laughs> well, see, that's – see, how how do you make something anti – like, you – the the trick that's a very good writing trick right there to make something almost seem anticlimactic but with this to the build up because and then make it just so simple like that if that makes any sense like okay let me explain a little further so what the guy this katati leader this alien dude is has this big monologue about how oh i'm the best no one could stop me i barely have any enemies because i kill them all whoop de whoop i'm so dope and i'm about to take you and all your people out you think you're cool you're not cool i'm cool i've been taking stuff down all over yada 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 he's going on and on and on about how awesome he is and then magneto's like i already beat you and he pulls satellites down from space and slams them on him <laughs> and the dude starts to get up and he's like oh okay and pulls down like five more on him and he's just like boom 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 making it rain satellites making it rain satellites <laughs> dope just so dope oh my gosh i agree i agree in full and also this is what i like about now because we now have an insight to what magneto actually wears like what does his wardrobe look like and all that this guy has three costumes, at least from what we see. So we have the regular white one that we've seen. It seems it seems like the white one, or the one that we have been seeing since House of X, is his peace ambassador sort of. I, I'm going to be giving you guys a message, like this sort, like like that that those kind of vibes. Like that's what the white I think that's what it's used for. We have the black. I have no idea what it's going to be used for. But he right. has it we just in case we see the the white, yeah, <laughs> which is my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, the white, yeah. The, but the free he bringing he brings back the classic purple red uniform as a sort of he's leading his troops into battle, and this is his war cabinet outfit yep. for battle. And I like the fact that Jonathan Hickman 
gives Magneto just a chance to shine, but also lets us know, like, hey, like, this is a, if you guys want classic Magneto, and it, it gives, like, a good reason for him to use it again. And yeah. that, hey, like, I'm leading it's off the troops of battle. This is, yeah. mm-hmm. it is. And it's, man, I, I have no, I have absolutely no words for how stunned I was by by this issue alone. Like, I, I, I've seen people write Magneto well as this, you know, supposed, you know, the, as the regular antagonist of the X-Men because, you know, he's a disagreement with Charles and right. all of that stuff. But I have never seen Magneto on such a scale of dominance, of victory, as I have since this whole reboot started. And, and this was just this was just icing on the cake for me. I think what sort of lets him be this dominant is the fact that Magneto is in an environment where he's allowed to speak whatever he wants to talk about. And knowing that he has the full support of all of Krakoa behind him, he has his friend Charles who finally, they finally agree on something. He's getting that chance because he knows that he's in a, he's in a fostered environment where he can be himself. He can let out all of his anger and everything that's happened to him and just allow himself to mow over and run over anybody he wants to because he's, he's just, he's just in this spot where he can't be taken down. He's he's up here. Like, he's above us. Like, he's above everybody yep. else. No one can stop him. And it, I'm, I'm happy for him. For what? Like, I'm happy for Eric. I'm happy that Eric gets a chance to shine, to be the spotlight. And we've seen him a lot in the past, however many, like, in the past year. He's just had so many fantastic moments of just sheer dominance. And it's very awesome to see. It's very awesome to see. Definitely, definitely. And just, yeah, I I think what Hickman does, which is what makes this whole thing so well, is he's taking all the things that we like about the X-Men and then bringing in new ideas and adding steroids to the stuff we already like. That's what he's doing. And that's why I think... This will, he will go down as, he might go down as the greatest X-Men writer of all time. He honestly might. This is starting to become more than a, than Whedon for me. Like his, his concept, his ideas, his, his writing, his storytelling, his everything is just so big and immense. And like the second you think it can't get any cooler and it can't get any bigger, he does it. And it's just, it's just like... Give me more. I want more. It's 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 back. If I, I think we've talked about before, it's like Jeff Johns, Green Lantern stuff. Like I, he at one point he had three different books that were all connected, and I was reading all of it with no shame. I was buying all of it. I didn't care because I needed to read it all. You know, a lot of times in comic books they make it so like you have to read it. Like you can't understand it unless you read it. But like what he does and what Jeff Johns does and Donny Cates for the as as another one like this is he makes me want to read more. He makes me want to go search out those other books to see what they're talking about, what they're referencing to. He wants me. They want me. To, they get me to want to read the tie-ins and all that stuff because I want the whole story because they've done such a good job. I agree. I agree fully. And and this is just to the last point. We got freaking, this, this is sort of minute, maybe bigger later, but we have Exodus who's teaching this camp of kids 
like these mutant kids in the background of some of the issues. We had the Crucible where we bring up Wanda again. It just seems like the mutants have also just fully turned on Wanda and all the humans. And he's doing the same as the narrator for Magneto's reign on the Katadi. It's sort of... It's weird because Exodus is one of the council members, but man, like he's a... It's weird. You think that we'd have somebody, I guess, a little more who leans on the good or heroic side, or used to anyways, to teach children about the ethics and values of what it means to be a mute. But now here, he's telling again, he's telling these little kids, hey, embrace the fact that Magneto's your hero. Embrace the fact that you have the mutant gene. Embrace the fact that you're brought on here and that we have this safe haven so that people can understand why we're doing what we're doing exactly and they're uplifting they're they're uplifting their people no more like they've always tried to say that but they've always had society human society bringing them down bringing them no matter how well they felt about each other society always made them feel inadequate going and we're even talking about people like magneto people like wolverine even that were you know they feel ashamed of who they are but here on krakoa there's nothing to be ashamed of because we're all mutants we're all together it doesn't matter anymore we speak our own language we have our own country our own customs we're going to have our own heritage you know this is this is something that i think is really good and honestly seeing the scenes where they're talking to the young mutants and like indoctrinating them into the new philosophies and like where they need to be and all that kind of stuff and like it's it's really cool even the, the more scarier kind of like anti-human stuff you know even though for the most part we can agree with them you know for a lot of a lot of that anti-human stuff they we humans are terrible like i can't even say it. but i'm really i'm really digging it i'm really digging the message and just like i said the the uplifting nature of of the krakoan community i do too i want to see where jonathan is headed along with this we get and and how this title will eventually build up to X of Swords because that is coming out soon and we will be here to cover it. But on that note, I'd like to thank, first of all, the Grand Geek Gathering for hosting this podcast. Please go over and check their site out at thegrandgeekgathering.com. Bunch of other great, awesome content creators with their own respective podcasts, articles, whatever it may be. Go to that site for all of your hosts and needs Please go over and check out thegrandgeekgathering.com. And I'd like to thank Dylan again for being a wonderful co-host and for being awesome today. So thank you for joining the show again, Dylan. Yo, totally, dude. I, I appreciate being here. I love talking about all this X-Men stuff. I love the fact that you forced me into this because this is one of the best decisions I've ever made. <laughs> and as always, dude, you, you, you're always so... You always come forth with that intelligent perspective on everything. And I, I'm, I'm happy to be here as your as your sidekick. I am too, man. And and on that note, shout thank you from the words of the professor. We will see you here on Domovex once X of Swords hits the next time.